0: One of the things that um, one of the reasons I love living in Southern California is uh, the fabulous weather that we enjoy. My wife and our children have lived here the last 18 years, and fortunately, I've not yet come to take it for granted. When in the middle of the winter, it could be 75 degrees, and you look at the snow up to the north, and you look at Catalina just sitting out in the glistening ocean to the west, and you realize that you know you're right in the middle in the perfect spot, actually. And uh, I, I haven't taken it for granted, and I hope that I never do. And that's one of the reasons that it's so difficult. If you ever watch the news and you watch the weather segment, and they try to warn us of an impending storm that's coming, it's so it's so hard to to buy into that. You know, they, they've got that cutoff low weatherman's woe thing that they do, and, and they bring out you know the jet stream, and they've got the cloud cover, and they show the satellites, and they show the cutoff lows, and they show the, everything moving in a certain direction. And you look out the window and it's like a beautiful day just like today. And the sky is blue and it's, just, it's gorgeous out. And it's hard to believe them when they say that there's a storm coming. And yet if you've lived long enough and if you've learned to heed such warning, you realize that there's a reason that we are warned of impending disaster that looms on the horizon and if you'll notice in the wintertime particularly here in Southern California when they say there's a good chance of a rainstorm coming anyone that has any common sense will heed that warning because they know when they didn't heed it is when they had flood damage and you'll see sandbags along the Pacific Coast Highway, you'll see bulldozers in place, you'll see crews out cleaning out the debris out of drainage ditches and things of that nature And, and that's just part of being wise to heed a warning that's coming and the purpose of the warning is try to minimize any property damage as well as loss of human life and if you've lived anywhere else in the world you know that that's one of the benefits of watching the weather segment is that when someone says, hey, there's a hurricane approaching, it's wise to be prepared for it. There's an ice storm coming, there's a snowstorm coming, there's a blizzard coming. Anyone with any wisdom will prepare for that inevitability. And uh, I'd like to suggest that there's a major storm coming, and it's not going to be localized to Southern California nor to the tip of Florida, but it's a storm that is coming, and it is going to find its way across our country. And it's a storm that I'd like to give us some warning so that we can minimize the damage that will come to human beings as well as to property. But it's a storm that finds at the center of it the moral collapse of our culture. And this collapse we've seen has manifested itself in a variety of ways. We've seen the disintegration of the family. We've seen high divorce rates in our country. We've seen uh, parents who don't spend time instilling values in their children and the resulting consequences that come along the way. We've seen the rise in the pornography industry from a, half a, from, from a $200 million a year business to almost you know over $2 billion a year. We see these things manifested, and we'll talk about several other subjects that will also uh, have, have some dealings with the moral collapse that we're going through. But probably, as, as uh, tragic as these are, the greatest single moral threat to our culture and to the family is what I would call militant homosexuality. Now, this session and next, we're going to examine this claim and we'll look at the dangers of homosexuality. But it's important to understand what I'm referring to very specifically is, for lack of a better term, militant homosexuality. And I want to explain that in a minute. But before I do that, not long ago, I ran across an article that was somewhat a somewhat inflammatory statement concerning homosexuality and instead of letting you know who said it, uh, which I, w- I will do in a minute, I'd like to quote it and then we'll discuss the source. This is the quote. Even in purely non-religious terms, homosexuality represents a misuse of the sexual faculty and in the words of one educator, of human construction. It is a pathetic little second-rate substitute for reality a pitiable flight from life. As such it deserves fairness, compassion, understanding, and when possible, treatment. But it deserves no encouragement, no glamorization, no rationalization, no fake status as a minority martyrdom." Now who made the statement? A. Pat Buchanan B. Jerry Falwell Rush Limbaugh or D an essay in Time Magazine Now anybody that's taken a multiple choice test realizes the first three are too close in ideology and, and thinking to realize you can't rule out any of those three and you can't give either, any of them credit so the answer must be D but you're thinking it doesn't make any sense that it could be an essay in Time Magazine and I didn't think it could make any sense either and as I looked at the article I began to realize there's a reason that it was in Time Magazine Because as I checked the date, the date was January 21st, 1966. Then it all started to make sense. Because if an editor in Time Magazine made that same statement today, he would be ostracized from his profession and he would no longer be employed by Time Magazine. Because a statement like that would be politically incorrect. You cannot make a statement like that. It would never appear in Time Magazine today because it's not politically correct. The problem with the paragraph is that it doesn't speak of homosexuality in glowing terms. And that indeed is the problem. It's not acceptable in time in the 1990s as in any other magazine that you may find or read. See, because in America, homosexuality is not second-rate, it's first-rate. It's not only accepted, but it is now encouraged. And the problem that we have is anybody who would write anything different May God help them. Now, you know what's interesting? If you ever go to a library and you start to look up articles on this whole subject, it's interesting to see the thought process that has taken place from the 1950s to the 1990s. Because up until 1968, the reporting in Time and other popular magazines reflected a value system that was based on moral absolutes. In other words, writers of Time Magazine reflected a Judeo-Christian value that reflected moral absolute thinking. And in one article in 1968, you go and you can do all the research that you want, but you'll find at one particular point in time, in 1968, Time Magazine made an, an amazing leap from moral absolute to moral relativism. It not only set out to accept, but it also set out to encourage the practice of homosexuality in our culture. And I want to try to be as sensitive as I can to go through this because I specifically mentioned that militant homosexuality is probably the greatest threat to the family today. And the reason I say militant is because I'd like to to explain why. I know of people and I've talked to those who struggle with the issue of homosexuality in their lives and it's something that they know is wrong, It's something they struggle with, and many of them have taken significant steps uh, to bring this area of their life under the control of the Holy Spirit. I know of others who, after pursuing a lifestyle of homosexuality, have turned to Christ for forgiveness, have sought Him out as their Lord and Savior, and have turned from that lifestyle altogether. I know some who struggle continually with the problem or the tendencies of homosexuality. And to them, we need to be compassionate, We need to also be true, biblically speaking, and we need to, in every way that we can, continue to love them as they continue in their struggles. But there is one other group, and this group demands that their actions be accepted and be approved. And any hesitancy to do either prompts them to call out and cry out that you are a bigot or that you are a homophobe and try as they may to cloak the agenda in the media since it's not socially accepted their goals have been clearly spelled out and the best way to understand what their goals are is to read the writings of their own writers you know it's really fascinating to me and I'll give you a good illustration I had a guy who worked for me at one time who was, who was a Mormon and very involved in the Mormon church and as we begin to discuss the differences between what the Bible teaches and what they profess as far as Mormonism concerned, is concerned he would, te- he would say things like this to me well that may be what our church teaches, but I don't believe that. All right? And, we've, and we see people that are like this. And, 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 and the struggle with all of that is, but you still align yourself with them and identify yourself with them. If you don't agree with what they teach, why do you claim to be what they are? You follow what I'm saying? Now, the problem with homosexuality is, I, I will guarantee you that as I share these things with you this morning, there will be people who are in the homosexual lifestyle will say, well I don't agree with that. Yet these are the leaders of those who are writing this and this is their agenda and this is their strategy and yet you say you don't agree with what they do but yet you identify yourself as part of this movement and we need to understand that there's a a very interesting contrast or contradiction that takes place. If you read any writings of anyone who's in a leadership position of the homosexual movement, there's basically two things that they want to accomplish. Number one, they want to remove all sodomy laws from the the books as far as being an act that is illegal. Now next time, next week we'll get into sodomy has to do with unnatural sexual intercourse, and it comes from the biblical root, the ancient city of Sodom. So there's some, there's some biblical historical facts that it goes back to that we'll talk specifically about next week as we look at what the Bible has to say about homosexuality. But what they want to do is they want to eliminate all of those laws from the books to legitimize it. And number two is many of them want to remove the age of consent laws from the books as well. That's their agenda. That is what they specifically are out to accomplish. Now when you think about this whole thing about about gay rights or or civil rights, and the interesting thing is, is that the two are usually brought up and they go hand in hand, at least as far as the argument is concerned. Homosexuality, is it really a civil rights issue? The advocates of homosexual lifestyle would have us to believe that it's a civil rights issue. They try to make it synonymous synonymous with civil rights, homosexual rights, civil rights, gay rights. They're always used in the same context, in the same paragraphs, in the same conversation. And as you go through it, we need to understand, is homosexuality really a civil rights issue? Well, stop and think about the civil rights movement historically. What was the issue of civil rights? Civil rights originally was an issue dealing with discrimination because of one's race or because of the color of one's skin. Listen to the quote Martin Luther King. He said, I have a dream. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will be ju- not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. The civil rights movement had to do with discrimination against a person because of what they looked like and not because of what they did, it was one of status and not behavior. The interesting thing is that, is that if you break it down very simply, see, I know people who are, quote, morally good of all races and colors. I know people who are morally evil of all races and color. So it's not a matter of making a determination based on what you see as far as skin color or race is concerned. It's an issue of the character of that person. See, God determines race. But we as human beings are held historically accountable according to the Word of God for our behavioral choices. And there's a difference between the two. You see, homosexuality is not an issue of looking at someone and and judging them based on what they look like, it's based on what they're doing. And there's a big difference between the two. So, homosexuality, if you stop and think about it, is not a matter of, of status, but it's of behavior. What are they doing? that's what we're judging actions now let me ask you this how many think homosexuals fit into a minority category this is absolutely phenomenal and i want to share some facts with you now please try to stay with me because most of you yet yeah, you don't sit still and, and you know and, and go through stuff like you're gonna go through so please kind of hang in there with me because it's really important that you understand what's going on in our culture as we look next time at what the Bible specifically says then the things that I share with you today are going to go hand in hand so that it all makes sense and you'll see why because we cannot, if God is opposed to something there's no way in the world that any human being or any human organization could try to sanction something that God is opposed to and have it become something good if God says it's something wrong and not realize that there'll still be consequences for it so this all goes hand in hand. Homosexuals in America. Okay, Here's the profile. The average income for homosexuals is $59,000 per year versus an annual income of $32,000 a year for heterosexuals. 59, almost 60 percent, of homosexuals are college graduates compared to 18 percent for the national average. 49 percent hold professional and managerial positions compared to 15 percent for the national average. are frequent flyers compared to less than 2% of the general population. I, I, I just read them, you come to your own conclusions. The total homosexual market is estimated to be approximately $400 billion. Could that explain the TV ad featuring gay men who are out for a romp to buy some furniture at Ikea. I don't know, I'm just asking. Let me, let me read this to you and you tell me what you think. In the universe of glitzy television commercials, the current Ikea furniture store ad showing a couple shopping for a table is pretty tame, except that the two shoppers are two homosexual men. Well, they, they call them gay men, but I don't know, anybody can go shopping and be happy about it. But anyway... <laughs> Just you know, just, a, just a thought. Anyway, the, the commercial. Now, th- this, is, this is the explanation. It's part of a larger campaign where we portray the range of our customer base. Says Bill Ag, Advertising Director of Ikea East. Other ads in the campaign have included... Now, follow how these things are worded. Other ads in the campaign have included a newly divorced woman furnishing a home, a black husband and wife, and a couple over 50 setting up a vacation house what we're trying to portray are major lifestyle changes we want everyone to feel included AG said the commercial is not so much targeted toward gay customers but at making all of our customers feel included however the gay market is significantly more affluent and educated than the general US market we just saw that exactly the kind of customer that responds to Ikea's upscale but moderately priced products. To gay advocacy groups, the commercial is significant, not simply because it depicts a gay couple, but because the couple are simply out on a shopping trip, a normal, everyday task. In their mid-30s, casually dressed, attractive but far from bodybuilders, the men are the gay mirror image of the clean-cut husband-and-wife team usually cast in home product advertising. Gays have been most visible. Gays have been mostly visible as a con- controversial issue. Ellen Carton of the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation in New York says she says, "This shows us as ordinary people." I think that these will do much to humanize us than just about anything that I've ever seen. You know, I, I read through that and I, and I have to jot down some buzzwords that continually come up in these arguments. One is we want to project them as normal we want to show them as a husband and wife team we want to show that they're ordinary people we want to show that they're human beings now see the problem with this and the thing that's not fair about it is there isn't any rational person in the world who doesn't see a person that in a homosexual lifestyle as a human being they are human beings absolutely But whether that's ordinary, whether that's normal, and whether it has the same billing as a husband and wife, those are the questionable things that we need to keep in mind. And let's make no mistake about it, gay rights is not about the normative rights that all citizens enjoy. In fact, men and women who practice homosexuality have the same rights as those who don't practice it. The problem is, and what I want to bring to our attention in this particular session, is that gay rights is about special rights. It's about rights that the heterosexual population doesn't have. It's not about normal, everyday rights that all Americans enjoy. It's 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 an agenda and a strategy about getting special preferential treatment in our culture. And unless we wake up, it's going to happen and I'll demonstrate exactly what takes place. Roger Magnusson, who's an attorney, and uh, he wrote an article in the Hamline Journal of Public Law and Policy talking about the whole gay rights movement, he says this, He says, plainly speaking, gay rights laws are meant to protect men and women who practice oral and anal copulation with members of the same sex. In about half of the states, the behavior violates criminal laws. He says, the test then is one of behavior, not status. Homosexuals can be categorized by what they do, which is sodomy, with whom they do it, members of their own sex. What gay rights laws ask for is a special privilege for homosexuals Not generally available to other groups, such as those who commit incest, those who commit bestiality, pedophilia, rape, or for that matter, any other criminal or antisocial behavior. You see what he's saying? He's saying this group, this behavior, this activity, it's illegal, and now what we want to do is somehow or another get it to be not, not only legal, but to be accepted. Robert Knight, who is the Culture Director of the Family Research Council, writes this, Contrary to their claims of discrimination, there is no effort to deny homosexuals the same rights guaranteed to all Americans. He says, the truth is that homosexuals have the same rights with the same restrictions as everyone else. Homosexuals have the right to free speech, freedom of religion, due process under the law, the right to engage in commerce, to enter in contracts, to own property, to vote, along with a host of other rights. In fact, the ACLU handbook lists dozens of rights homosexuals already enjoy. In this country, all citizens are guaranteed equal protection of the law. Homosexuals do not need equal protection. Yet the strategy of the militant homosexual agenda is to move it away from a moral or behavioral field to one of legality. Let me give you an illustration as we go through this. And I want you to just kind of think with me the, the, the same gentleman, Roger Magnuson, who, who is an expert in the law, he writes this. He says, many states make sodomy a crime. He says, these statutes had ancient roots. Sodomy was a criminal offense of common law and was forbidden by the laws of all the 13 original states at the time that the Bill of Rights was ratified. He says, the real issue underlying the gay rights controversy is whether law should give special protection to sexual preferences for homosexual behavior. Does the inclination to practice anal or oral sodomy with members of the same sex merit special legal safeguards? Gay rights laws rely on the persuasive power of a single analogy, an analogy of behavior-based status to true status. That analogy equates a deviant sexual act with color, place of birth, or sex, and it cannot bear serious analysis. Let me give you an illustration of what came up in the past year. Do you remember when they wanted to lift the ban of homosexuals from the military? Do you remember what the media portrayed as being the argument that was used? It's exactly the same that took place in the, in the 1950s when blacks were allowed to serve in the military. Did you follow that argument? It is the pinnacle of racism to make a statement like that. It is the height of racism to make a statement like that. To compare a person's behavior with another person's color of skin is the height of racism. And yet that was the argument that was continually used in the media in whatever form that you looked at, whether it was on the news or whether it was in print. That was, blacks were discriminated against because of the color of the skin, and that was true, and that was wrong, and God forgive us for ever doing that to any race in this country, based on what a person looks like. But to equate that argument with one of what a person does from a behavioral standpoint is totally wrong and that's what we need to be careful of these are some events that took place the last 12 months and you tell me if I'm getting a little excited about nothing January 8th President Clinton received a letter signed by 51 men- members of Congress it Says, and, and included were in, in self-identified homosexuals, Barney Frank, Jerry Stedge Patricia Schroeder, they write this, We are writing to express our support for an executive order ending the ban of lesbians and gay men serving in the armed forces as soon as possible upon taking office in January. We will stand with you as you execute this historic executive order and we will work with you to oppose any attempts to legislate this type of discrimination in the future. On January 23rd, on his third day in office, President Clinton remembered the prompting of his friends, and five extremely controversial executive orders were signed. The number one order was to lift the ban on homosexuals in the military. On February 3rd, he nominated Roberta Actingberg, who who is an avowed lesbian activist. Her claim to fame was riding in the gay parade in San Francisco, openly kissing uh, her, her, her lover, who is a woman, is a, and that is also a judge in San Francisco. She also has come out and attacked the Boy Scouts. She says that homosexuals should be appointed as Boy Scout troop masters. She's also made vile speeches insisting that the Boy Scout organization should be punished until it approves of the gay lifestyle and openly welcomes homosexuals as role models for young boys. In fact, she fumed when she found out. I'm just going to read it. You come to your own. She fumed when she found out that in the Boy Scout oath it included a reference to God. She said that is un-American. The, national, the North American Man-Boy Love Association was wildly supportive of her endorsement. Their motto is, sex before eight, or it's too late. Dick Hafer writes, it seems, President Clinton seems to be determined to rub the nos- noses of traditional morality citizens into its homosexual policies. He had 13 open gays high on his transition team, and Ms. Aktenberg is the highest-ranking open lesbian ever appointed. She walked into her Senate confirmation hearings arm-in-arm with her lover and flaunted it in the face of all the senators. Only one senator, Senator Jesse Helms, a Republican of North Carolina, posed any opposition. February 11th, Mr. Clinton attempted to lift the restriction on the immigration of HIV-positive individuals in the United States. His efforts were quickly rebuffed by Congress. End of issue. That was last February, February 11th. A year later, February 25th, once again Attorney General Janet Reno appears interested mainly in pleasing the homosexual lobby. According to the Washington Times, Reno has suspended the ban on HIV-infected visitors to the United States so they can attend the gay Olympic game in New York City this June. Last year, the House voted 356 to 58, and the Senate voted 76 to 23 to ban HIV-infected immigrants. This is the same Attorney General, if you remember, who ignored a 100 to nothing Senate resolution to condemn her loosening of the child pornography laws and went on to use the liberalized standard in a subsequent case. This latest outrage is even more serious since it flaunts flaunts legislation and not just resolution. As a federal body elected by the people, Congress needs to rein in this rogue Justice Department official. Anyway, homosexual movement. Um, What else? Let's see. April 24th, 300,000 homosexual and and lesbian activists marched in Washington, D.C. This is what the Washington Post writes. Last night, as thousands of hand-clapping, war-whooping lesbians erupted out of DuPont Circle and headed down Connecticut Avenue chanting, Viva Female Genitalia, and where dykes were out, were out for power, Chance that grew into steady roar as the march was funded through the 17th Street Canyon and swung left on Pennsylvania Avenue toward the brightly lit White House, there came one of those wonderful, defining moments that will remain forever etched upon the heart and memory of the city. Lawrence Smith, an elementary school teacher from Seattle, clambered atop the 15-foot bronze statue, threw off her shirt, and began in an a brilliant, bare-breasted, hip-thrusting victory dance in place, and the crowd went wild. June 26, President Clinton named Christine Gebby, a lesbian as the new AIDS czar. Four months later she spelled out her perceptions on traditional morality. She said, the United States needs to view human sexuality as an essentially important and pleasurable thing, and until it does so, we will continue to be a repressed Victorian society that misrepresents information, denies sexual, sexuality early, Denies homosexual sexuality, particularly in teens, and leaves people abandoned with no place to go. I can help just a little bit my job by standing on the White House lawn talking about sex with no lightning bolt falling from my, on my head. Oh my goodness. Let's see, what do I? How about November 2nd? On this day, homosexual and lesbian appointees with the Clinton administration held a coming out breakfast for the press. The original goal, they said, was to secure five gay appointments by the White House. So far, they have obtained 22, and more are expected. Bruce Lehman of the Gay and Lesbian Victory Fund said, quote, for the first time in history of mankind, a president has sought to break this barrier, this taboo. For that, Bill Clinton is going down in history. And I just hope he doesn't take us down there with him. But anyway... (laughs) Gary Bauer of the Family Research Council says this, Remembering that the pre- president promised that his high-level appointments would look like America, isn't it interesting Mr. Clinton has assigned no evangelical Christians to senior government positions? One out of four Americans identifies himself or herself as an evan- evangelical, yet to the best of our knowledge, not one is represented in his administration. Uh, you know, this goes on and on. You know, here, the, the latest one is the mediators were sent to Mississippi. Did you see that one? Citing a threat of violence against a lesbian couple, Attorney General Janet Reno on Friday ordered federal civil rights mediators from the Justice Department into their first case involving the harassment of gay people. Reno sent the mediators to southeastern Mississippi town of Ovid, population of 1,200, where some residents are trying to force out a lesbian couple who founded a women's camp last summer on 120 acres of what had been a pig farm. The camp founders, Brenda and Wanda Henson, named it Sister Spirit and say they intend to use it as a training center for feminist and civil rights activists. The Hensons, who share the same last name because they consider themselves married, say they have received threatening letters, been subjected to jeers and gunfire from neighbors, and had a bomb explode last winter in the front of their property. Officials and gay rights activists, a- activists said... They could not recall any other instance in which federal mediators who typically respond to reports of racial threats or violence had dealt with violence directed at homosexuals. The area is a conservative religious community that has standards based on biblical morality. Residents at Camp Sister Spirit reject that standard and have a radical agenda that would seek to change our way of life, says one attorney who represents the town. Stay tuned more coming to your town. How real is it? How real is the storm that's approaching? If you you think I'm panicking or you think I'm blowing things out of proportion, I didn't didn't read half of the things that I have. Or if you're even bored with it, and I know many of you are. But the problem is that you need to have a good understanding of what's going on around us because if you think this is blowing it out of proportion, I want to share with you a man who has been in the center of the storm. His name is Chuck McElhaney. He's a pastor in San Francisco. And he has had his house firebombed. He has been threatened. His children have been threatened. But listen to what he has to say. Because it's really important to listen to someone who's been on the front lines to appreciate what we can expect. Someone who's lived through a storm, you can listen to and appreciate what they have to say when a hurricane's coming. But this is what he says. He says, whether you want to or not, you will eventually have to deal with the gay rights movement. It may at first appear as a human rights ordinance at your local city council, or it may turn up as a pro-homosexual teen counseling center at your local junior and senior high school. Or perhaps it'll show up as a safe sex education program for your children, teaching them that homosexual safe sex and same-sex partnerships are just as normal as heterosexual marital relationships. All of these things are currently in effect in San Francisco. Regardless of how it comes to your community, you and your children will eventually be forced to submit to the homosexual agenda or face legal sanctions and you know as i read that on february twenty-third maybe some of you have seen it second gay support group formed at a local high school a second support group for gay and lesbian high school students has been formed in the huntington beach union high school district this time at huntington beach high school quote they are people too said Greg Reed, 18, a founding member of the group. They should be able to be open about anything they want and to be open about it. The group has met twice on the campus and some of its members went public Tuesday afternoon with its existence on the University of California, Irvine radio talk show Subversity. Reaction has been minimal so far with none of the protests and heated words that followed the formation of the Fountain Valley Student Alliance of Fountain Valley High School. You notice that? Well, the first time, got a little uproar. Second time, eh. none of the heated things. A good friend of mine, Jeff Kemp, was in town. He's, he's uh, president and founder of the Washington Family Council in the state of Washington, which is probably second to San Francisco now in homosexual activity and a place of uh, homosexual uh, um, gatherings, groupings, uh, leadership, and the rest of it. And he said and that's exactly the same thing that happened to their city. It starts out very small, but the militant homosexual agenda is not satisfied with that. How did they get so much power? How did a group, a sexual practice that even Time Magazine considered to be less than normal, a pathetic little second-rate substitute for reality, a pitiable flight from life left less than 30 years ago, gain such prominence and clout? How did a group that was outside the boundaries of morality just 20 years ago suddenly become so mainstream? How is it that anyone who dares to speak in opposition is looked upon as a homophobe, prejudiced, hateful, and intolerant? That's where we are. That's where our society is today. Chuck McElhaney goes on, he says this, The homosexual movement is coming after your right to free speech, to religious freedom, and most importantly, after your public school children through homosexual recruitment programs disguised as safe sex and or AIDS education classes, alternative lifestyle classes, or through counseling services for teens run exclusively by gays and by lesbians. And no, your private Christian school will not be spared if anti-discrimination and sexual orientation ordinances are passed in your community. Since There will be no exception allowed in their bid for political rule over community after community, and why should there be? See, because the two are mutually exclusive moralities, one that's based upon the word of God, and the other based on the arbitrary will of men. Once again, we have a clash between those who believe in moral absolutes and those who believe in moral relativism. He says, what will you do if your state passes a law that prohibits discrimination against homosexuals or any adulterer or even includes a prohibition against speaking or writing anything critical about such immoral conduct? Will your church take a stand? Will your pastor take a stand? Will you support your pastor if he does, even though your reputation in the community may suffer?" Or will you compromise and allow legislative immorality to take over your community, all in the name of freedom? Will you allow your children to be recruited by such ungodliness in our tax-funded public schools and organizations? He says, the question is, those are the questions, but only you can really answer it. And as you go through all of these things, you know, I, I know some of you are saying, well, geez, Chuck, you know... You've got certain people on one side of it saying this is their opinion. You've got other people on the other side of it saying this is their opinion. And you know, you've know you got just the opinions flying back and forth. And, and, if you, and if you think that, you're right. And I'm glad that you think that. Because what I wanted to do today is just lay out some background and a foundation for what we're going to discuss next week, which is very specifically, what does the Bible have to say about it? You know, what does God have to say about the practice of homosexuality? Because it's important to understand whatever God says is really going to be the tiebreaker. And as we look back on what's going on in our society, maybe these things don't outrage you now, but hopefully they will. And let me close with with an article that I read not too long ago that that kind of sums up everything I'm trying to get across today. Chuck Colson writes this in his his, uh, book called Dance with Deception. And he just looks at it from a very simplistic point of view, but one that I hope that you'll look at and understand because this will lay the framework for what we'll talk about next time. But he writes this, Gay activists insist they just want equal rights. Opponents say that that's not true. There you go, you got two opinions, right? That what they really want is approval of same-sex relationships. Well, which group is right? says so we get our answer by looking at the literature gay groups are promoting for the public schools. It says, for example, the New York City school system is embroiled in a controversy over a first-grade curriculum guide entitled Children of the Rainbow. The guide says, quote, children must be taught to acknowledge the positive aspects of each type of household. What type of household do the authors have in mind? We find out in another passage where teachers are encouraged to be aware of varied family structures, including gay or lesbian parents. If we turn to the list of recommended books, we find the same theme. One book is called Heather Has Two Mommies. It's about a lesbian couple who have a child through artificial insemination. Another book is called Daddy's Roommate, about a youngster with two male parents. The child in the story says being gay is just one more kind of love. It says these books aren't teaching kids not to pick on people or make fun of them. They're teaching positive acceptance of homosexuality on a par with traditional marriage and family. This is an analogy, says columnist John Leo, would be teaching schoolchildren to be tolerant of Catholics by making them read a book called, perhaps, Heather Finds Peace as a Nun. He says, imagine for a moment if we carried this to its logical conclusion in an even-handed way. Schoolchildren would be reading books called Heather is Born Again to promote fundamentalism. Heather Speaks in Tongues the Charismatics and if we want to be multicultural about this how about Heather wears a veil Heather wears a veil showing a happy little Muslim girl and even Heather used to be a cow to promote appreciation well to, to promote an appreciation of Hinduism he says you know, he, but he, goes, he does say I'm joking of course but the possibilities for cultivating right attitudes are endless The question is, where schools would find the time to teach old standbys like reading, writing, and arithmetic? And you wonder why our school children and their grades of the state of California are going, you know, flushing down the toilet. We're so busy trying to teach them about how to accept alternative lifestyles and, and sex education and all the things that they're promoting. No one has time to teach them how to think. It says schools are going about this tolerance thing backwards. If they were really teaching basic skills and attitudes, students would be equipped to respond to any group and its beliefs rationally and fairly. Then teachers wouldn't have to single out specific groups for special treatment and endorsement. And yes, books like Heather Has Two Mommies and Daddy's Roommates do cross the line from tolerance to outright endorsement. As John Leo says, the traditional civic virtue of tolerance has been replaced with a new ethic requiring approval and endorsement. Under the old definition of tolerance, schools try to be value-neutral, asking children to park their values and beliefs at the door. But today's schools have abandoned that goal. They are aggressively teaching a new ethic, and it's the one that contradicts the biblical ethic accepted by the majority of our population. He says, so don't let gay groups or their supporters make you feel as if you are the one who's being intolerant. Their own goal is to impose a new ethic, a new orthodoxy, upon the rest of society. And the next time we get together, we're going to answer some questions like, how how does someone become homosexual? That's a valid question. What happens? How does it take place? What does the Bible have to say about it? And the most important thing of all is what should we be doing as we see these storm clouds approaching and what can we do to minimize the damage that will occur to human life? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity just to look at an overview of what's going on in our culture. God, help us to uh, understand that the opinions of men vary and they change from day to day and time to time. But God, help us to see the storm clouds that have been gathering across the face of this nation. Help us to understand that it is no simple thing that we're dealing with that it's something that we need to deal with, we need to face it, we need to confront it, we need to look at it heads up, as in all these issues that we'll be discussing throughout this series. But God, for wisdom and for counsel, God, help us to uh, turn to you. Help us to turn to your word, which you tell us is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That it's a standard that will never change. Help us to understand that you are not like men, that you do not lie, nor do you change your opinion of certain things but you are a God who tells the truth because you tell us that you have sanctified us as your people in truth and that it's the truth that will set us free. God, help us to see that. Help us to be in prayer. Help us to be people with our eyes open at what's going on around us so that we can be salt and light as you've created us to be in the society in which we find ourselves, to preserve it and to shed light upon the darkness that is meant to destroy our culture, our culture, our society, our families, our homes, and our children. God, help us to sense that, to sense a a sense of urgency and a need to protect. And we just thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.